Sending money to family members in your home country is something many UA residents do on a regular basis. But as the world struggles with the effects of COVID-19 and some people have lost jobs or experienced salary cuts, actually having the money to transfer is an issue in itself. New research from the Institute of International Finance found that global remittances may fall as much as 30% this year as the coronavirus-induced recession affects countries worldwide. This forecast echoes a similar outlook from the World Bank, which said it expects remittances to low- and middle-income countries to fall by about 20% this year, with only a moderate recovery in 2021. So with so many of us now focused on keeping costs down, what is the best way to transfer money from the UAE? How do you compare the options available? And can you really haggle over rates? Welcome to Pocketful of Dirhams. I'm Alice Hayne, the Personal Finance Editor at The National. And joining me today is Jean-Claude Farah, President of Western Union's Global Network. Welcome to the show, Jean-Claude. Hi, Alice. Thank you for having me. Now, COVID-19 has had a tremendous effect on the global economy over the past few months, as we all know, and this includes on international money flows. So how has it affected global remittances so far? Um, Alice, as you were saying in your introduction, there are many surveys that have been out there for the time being, and some of them do foresee 30% decline, other 20% decrease in the in the volumes of remittances in 2020. Um, and, you know, Western Union is looking at all that very closely and trying to figure out uh, how, how this is going to pan out for the customers of Western Union and the customers for the remittance industry as a whole. One thing I wanted to tell you is that remitting money is usually for a very specific need. So it is very important to recognize that the remittance industry is very resilient the remittance customers are very resilient and they become even more resilient in times of crisis. Think about the customer journey that a remitter has. They leave the comfort of a home country to come to a host country in order to improve in life and not only for themselves, but in order for them to make the lives of their loved ones back home in the home country better. So crisis or not, COVID or not, sending money back home remains a necessity, and this is why it remains really resilient. Today, when we look at the at the World Bank that says that the remittance industry might go down by as much as 20% in terms of remittance, if you look as well at what the Citibank is saying, they are looking at something at around 14% decline. We think that the reality is somewhere in between. I don't think that we should be as pessimistic as the World Bank uh, is today, even though it is too early to, to, pre- to predict um, you know, uh, definite scenarios there. And I think that we could be closer to what Citibank has, has put out there. What we need to do is we need to make sure that our customers are being served in the, in the best way. And this crisis has taught Western Union a lot of things. You're saying that it might not be quite as pessimistic as as some of the surveys are saying. You know, how can um, the stakeholders involved, exchange houses, banks, customers, you know, what's the best way to make sure that people are able to remit money going forward? I would say that it is about choice and control. 
we need to give the customers choices. And when I talk about choice, it's not only about the price. It's about the channel that they would like to use. Should they go digital? Should they remain in the retail and the brick and mortar? Should they use a combination of both? We need to make sure that we keep all these alternatives and all these choices available to customers. And not only on the send side, it's on the receive side as well. Should they want their receiver to pick up the money in cash from a brick and mortar location, or they would like that money to go into a bank account, or they would like to, uh, that money to go into a digital wallet? This is what I mean by choice. And why is why is that choice important at the moment? Is that because people may not actually want to go to a physical branch because of the safety concerns around coronavirus? Is that why you need more options at the moment? Well, in normal times, uh, giving choice and control to the customers always helped, but even more so in the COVID-19 period. Because if you look at the lockdown, even if people wanted to go to locations, they were not able to do that physically. So we have seen our, our digital uh, part of the business shooting up to as high as 99% growth for the month of May. And, you know, we had prepared our, our, digital, uh, um, our digital channel for growth. But what we have seen during the lockdown of COVID-19 has, ex- uh, you know, has exceeded our, our expectations. So b- people couldn't go. People chose sometimes not to go. And we should respect that choice, even if now, today, the market has opened up again, network has opened up again, we should respect the choice of the customer of saying, I would like to transact in a digital manner, or in a retail manner, or in a combination of both. So if there's going to be a higher use of the digital options that are available in the industry, do you think that could potentially lead to lower fees? And that would also be a great way to draw customers back as they as they kind of emerge from this COVID-19 era. Lower fees is, is a great way to, to keep people using services. So do you think that's something that we'll see more of? Lower fees is one of the levers, I would say, that players in the uh, uh, money transfer industry can pull in order to go back to the market share that they used to have or to gain market share, so on and so forth. Uh, What I see today in the market, Alice, is that there is a lot of chaos going on. There is a lot of ambiguity going on. No one knows where their market share stands today. And there is certainly a lot of work to be done by companies like Western Union, by the competitors of Western Union, or by the FX houses, if we look here at the UAE, in order to clarify their offering to the customers and claim back a market share that they used to to hold uh, before. Uh, Pricing and lower prices when it comes to customers is certainly one of the levers. Uh, It won't be the the only lever that is at the disposal of the players in in the money transfer industry. Having said that, this competitive environment will certainly benefit to the end user. So customers will be happy to have this competitive environment because they will certainly get better deals. And by better deals, I mean maybe cheaper, maybe faster, maybe, you know, with, with more ubiquity in terms of presence on the receive side. 
Now, the UAE is actually one of the biggest remitters in the world. Where does it sit on that list? And who are the biggest beneficiaries from remittances coming out of the UAE? The UAE has always been a big player in terms of the remittance market worldwide, specifically on the cent side. So when you when you think about the UAE or the Gulf as a whole, you can see that uh, uh, these are markets that basically draw to them um, the, the manpower from manpower exporting markets. So you would see if you look around you here in the UAE, you'll see that uh, you have more than or nearly around 80% of the population that are expatriates. Uh, should they be uh, blue collar, white collar, it doesn't matter. But these are people that have left their home country to come to the UAE to make a better living for themselves and for their loved ones. So this has fueled the growth of the remittance in the UAE and has basically shot up the the uh, ranking or UAE in the ranking of of the of the remittance market of this world. UAE today, or I would say those numbers go to 2018 because those are the official numbers. UAE was ranking as number three just after the USA and Saudi Arabia in terms of the uh, uh, market uh, remittance ranking. Uh, out of the UAE in that year, you had something like $42 billion that moved into countries like India, Philippines, Egypt, Pakistan, Bangladesh. Uh, in order for you to understand uh, the, uh, I would say, the, the benefiting markets from the remittance of the UAE, look around you. It really matches the ethnic communities that we have. India being the biggest ethnic community is the uh, uh, the highest one that benefits from the from the remittance out of the UAE. So it is between South Asia and Near East. Those are the the markets that really benefit from the uh, remittance going out of the UAE. And from what you've seen, is it mainly money that's going to support families back at home or are some people also moving money to invest? I mean, for example, I, I move a lot of money out of the UAE and I, I do that primarily to invest. I don't support any extended family members in the UK because I don't need to. But a lot of people here do support families. But do you see a balance between the investment side and between those who are, who are you know, basically propping up an entire family back home? We are here to serve all use cases. You are one use case as Alice that would like to send money back to invest because she doesn't have the need to support anyone. There are many use cases and all of them are so different. Some people do send to invest, some people do send to support loved ones, some others uh, send money back home for both, uh, for both purposes. If I take the Indian community, we have a lot of our, uh, of our uh, Indian remitters that send money back home in order to buy real estate, in order for them to prepare their retirement plan, so on and so forth. Others, to the Philippines, it's more of supporting our loved ones. And use cases are different. And to your question, I would say that we serve all use cases. Today, I don't know if we can say that there is a 50-50% a split between the investment uh, um, reason for sending money as for the loved ones, uh, supporting the loved ones. I would say that currently we are still more into uh, a mode of supporting loved ones is our first use case that Western Union serves. 
Okay. So for people wanting to send money right now, and, and this applies to the whole industry, what's the best strategy that they should take? I mean, they could choose to send through a service like yours. They can choose to send through their bank, uh, an exchange house, an online platform. There's lots of options. So how do they choose the right option for them? And you've got to factor in things like fees and exchange rates. What should they be looking for? I will start by telling you that the um, consumers of the money transfer in this in this area and uh, more close to home in the UAE are very savvy. They are very savvy about uh, what are the products that are at their at their disposal to use. They are very savvy in knowing how the price and the cost of every transaction is built. If you go and visit any location of any exchange house in the UAE, uh, you would you would notice that beyond the fee, they do advertise and put on their on their window screen the FX rate because the the cost of a transaction is always divided between the fee and the FX rate. On the fee, there are uh, you know uh, there is a lot of uh, uh, competition to the extent that. You will you will find nearly the same fee along all players. So where what makes the difference is what are you giving in terms of FX rate, in terms of conversion from the uh, UAE dirham to their local currency, and sometimes it it plays around bips up or bips down in the choice of a, uh, of a customer. Uh, the first one then it will be the cost of a transaction. The second one is the confidence and the trust they put in a brand. Some customers do think that, you know, I would like to, to have the peace of mind. It doesn't matter if I pay a little bit more or it doesn't matter if I pay a little bit less. I would like to trust a known brand with my hard-earned money. So this is as well important. In addition to all that, it depends on the needs of the customer. Do they, do they have the need to go to... Uh, uh, a retail location or do they have the capability when it comes to the receiver to go to uh, a retail location or they would like to they would prefer to have an end-to-end digital experience where they send they send uh, uh, from an app and it, uh, the transaction would end up on a on a wallet sometimes it's the speed do they need the money straight away or they can wait for one or two days to, to get the money. Yeah, I agree with you on a couple of points there. One is trust. Trust is very, very important in this market. And to make sure that the person you're sending with is actually going to send your money and deliver it on time. And, and again, speed is an important one to make sure you get the money in a certain period of time. I mean, some services take longer than others. Some of them, you have your money within seconds and others, it can take uh, it can take a week or more if you're using a particular online platform, for example, where you have to transfer your money to a bank account and then they do the transfer and then it becomes quite a complicated process. So it might be cheaper, but it would take longer. So you have to kind of consider factors like that, don't you? It's up to every uh, customer to choose what suits them best. What is up to, to us and companies like us to make, is to make sure that we offer them with the, with the options that they can use. But I agree with you, every use case is, uh, is specific and every use case is unique. And uh, you cannot apply all options to, to all use cases. It is, it is very specific what we are trying to do 
when money transfer is involved specifically on a cross-border level. And you can also actually compare um, the kind of cost of transactions directly on the World Bank website. They they literally list every exchange mechanism through the UAE and they and they give you an understanding of how much it would cost to send through that platform. But that doesn't necessarily give you all the information that you need on how long it might take. Um, but when it comes to other tips, I mean, you hear these these advice, you know, people give out different advice, don't they? And I've been told in the past, you know, you should send at a particular time during the month or you should send on a particular day. I think somebody told me once I should send on a Monday or Tuesday. Is that something you agree with? We have been working on, on new uh, pricing techniques. We call it dynamic pricing. And uh, this is maybe a new technique for the, uh, money transfer industry, but it is a very old technique. If you look at uh, how airliners do do price their uh, their tickets, sometimes if you if you buy a ticket, uh, uh, you know, forty five days before your departure, you're going to pay a different price than if you if you buy the ticket five days before. So we have been testing a lot of that uh, of that technology uh, when we we would say the price could be different. And when when I say price, it could be the uh, the fee could be the same, but the FX could be different. The foreign exchange conversion should be different at uh, at uh, a different day of the week, at a different time of the day. Is it the end of the month? It is the the, uh, the mid of the month. So yeah, I would agree that uh, a lot uh, a lot of focus is being put on the dynamic pricing in order to to provide the customers with with the uh, better or the best value proposition that we can provide them. Have your remittances been affected by the pandemic? Send us your stories and questions to pf at thenational.ae. And remember that PF stands for personal finance. So I'm going to come on to a question from a listener. This is from ME in Dubai. And she says, I send a lump sum of 2,000 dirhams a month to my home country of the Philippines. Because I am a good saver, I've realized I could actually save this money up over one, two or three months and then send every quarter instead. Would this help me reduce the fees involved in sending money home? So what's your take there? Alice, uh, the short answer to this specific use case is yes. The long answer is, let me tell you why. Uh, today, NE is sending to the Philippines. And to, to the Philippines, we have a certain uh, uh, price bracket that we have implemented. And when I look at this specific use case, if she's sending 2,000 dirham per month, or if she keeps the 2,000 dirham to send them after three months as 6,000, she's going to pay the same fee. So all in all, she would have made a saving from sending three transactions when she, she's put them into one. Having said that, this is not the case for every corridor. What we call corridor is when you have one sending country on one side, one receiving country on the other side. For this use case, you have UAE to Philippines. The answer is yes. Tomorrow, if this uh, question is regarding, I don't know, UAE to Mexico, the answer might be different. So it, it depends on where you're sending to. So for the Philippines, ME should continue as she is and, and possibly stash, stash that cash up and send it quarterly rather than every month. 
Now, what else should people be um, thinking about? You know, what should they watch out for? I mean, there can be, you know, depending on who you use, you, you can have issues with hidden fees. You can have issues with money never turning up. You can have issues with deciding to lock in a transfer rate, then changing your mind, and you're still, being, you're still obliged to actually send that money. So what, what should people be aware of here? A lot of things can go wrong because you know the the devil lies in details and in the in the fine print that uh, that they they are they are having when they contract with any company to to move their hard earned money. Sometimes it it could be that on the receive side the receiver is gonna is gonna get charged, which we don't do. The receiver doesn't pay anything; it's all on the sender. And you know uh, the opacity or or. Uh, uh, of the processes might end up in uh, a more expensive transaction for the customer. I know about players in the market where you send money, you pay 15 dirhams here, and you think that uh, this is all uh, about what you will have to pay. But then when the receiver is picking up the transaction on the receive side, they tell them, if you don't pay two or three dollars, we're not giving you the transaction. So there are a lot of, of hidden fees, as you call them, and I would advise the money transfer consumers uh, or the money movers, if you want, to, to, to look at the transaction end to end and to make sure that they understand the full picture of how much this transaction is costing them. And another tip I always say, and I actually do this myself because I, I use an exchange house to send my money and I do haggle. I go in there and they know me now, but I do go in there and I say, you know, I look at their rate on the board and I, I, I say, you know, what's your best rate? And then they say X. And then I say, well, look, you know, I want to send a little bit more today. I want to send this amount. So come on, come on. What's your best rate? And we have this back and forth for a while and the rate goes down and eventually we get to somewhere that we agree on. Is this something that people should do? Because I'm a great believer in it. I think, Alice, uh, you've been in the region for uh, enough time to uh, get a taste of haggling, I see. <laughs> Most definitely. Our agents with whom we work, they give you the, the price that they see on the system and the uh, FX, uh, um, you know, the foreign exchange rate that they see on the system. So haggling won't help when it comes to sending a Western Union transaction because it is already, I mean, the, the info has already been embedded in the system. And changing uh, a price or changing an FX rate is a cumbersome process and is not based on haggling with customers. So not with you guys, but if, if others want to do it elsewhere, go ahead. Um, now coming back to Western Union, how does your product work? Because you have a, a flat fee of 15 dirhams that you charge to send money. Um, and people can do so by visiting one of your um, partner locations across the UAE, which is generally with a, uh, an exchange house. But they can also use your app. But is there a cap on how much money they can send with you? Uh, there is a cap. I think for the UAE, it's around uh, $7,500 uh, or, or the equivalent of it in, in dirhams. Uh, this is the cap, the cap that we have, and these caps usually we, we put them out there in connection with the rules and regulations that are in in, in certain markets. So I would give you just a quick example. Uh, in in let's say in uh, Singapore, that cap goes up to fifteen thousand dollars. In other countries, that cap is at three thousand dollars. So what we do is that we operate under the rules and the regulations of every market that is that is out there. So. Uh, 
If you're asking as well about the channels, uh, today let's look at all the use cases that the customer that would like to move money outside of the UAE, let's say to India, um, what is at their disposal out there from a, from a channel perspective? As you rightly said, they can go and visit a brick and mortar agent location, uh, take the money in cash and send it, send it to India. In India, they have many ways of choosing how to receive it. That money can go straight to a bank account, right? It will be credited to a bank account. That money can be picked up in cash from a physical location in India. That money can go and sit on a digital wallet in India, so on and so forth. So there are, there are many use cases. On the send side, you can as well use our, uh, our Woo.com app that we, we have launched in, uh, in connection and in partnership with Al-Fardan Exchange, where basically you can do your transaction uh, uh, in an in a end-to-end digital way if you're sang- sending it from the app and you know, getting that money credited to a bank account in India. So there are, there are many use cases and we keep on um, widening the scope of the channels that we're using. As I told you at the beginning, we are launching as well what we call digital white label, which is basically you wouldn't know that you're using Western Union because um, you would be, let's say, a customer of a certain financial institution, but you have the the need to, to move money. We are partnering with those financial institutions to make them benefit from our presence on the received market or our capabilities on the received market, should it be picking up the money in cash or depositing it on a bank account or on a, on a digital wallet. So we're putting a lot of options out there for our customers to choose from. And would that white label have a higher amount that you can send? Because other providers, you can send more than that 7,500 figure that you said. So would, would your other product have the ability for more money to be sent? The, on the white label part, it is an agreement between the partner that we are white labeling for and, of course, in accordance to rules and, and regulations. If, uh, let's say, the FI Connect partner for our digital white label, that financial institution, uh, sees that they can raise that limit, we're, we're, we're okay with it because what we do is we enable a transaction. We do, you know, we're the technical, we play the technical part in the digital white label of moving money. But it is more complicated than what you think because you need to take into account what is in, um, you know, in place uh, in the received markets. Are the received markets willing to, to receive more money or is there a possibility for them to have a higher cash pickup if someone sends $50,000? When you launch something like that, you need to make sure that on the send side it is allowed on the receive side, it is allowed, and that there is the capability of our partners of the uh, on the receive side to honor that transaction. So, going forward, if if we wrap up here and looking at the remittances industry, you know, we're still in the middle of this pandemic; it's not over yet. What are we going to see in the future? Are we going to see faster transfers, for example, using blockchain, lower fees across the board? What's to come? Alice, you know, the most important part is uh, for the remittance customers to have jobs in order for them to have money to to move from point A to point B. 
Uh, I started by telling you that this industry is very resilient and the customers, the money transfer customers are very resilient. And I'm sure even in this situation that the world is in today of job losses that we hear uh, about here and there, uh, those fighters, those heroes will continue to, uh, to be resilient in order to get a job and continue supporting their loved ones in, in home countries. All what we have to do as, as uh, money transfer leaders, uh, as Western Union, is to make sure that we provide them with all the options and all the channels that they might be able to use. Blockchain, I must be very frank with you, this is a technology that we have tested and it did not help us uh, make our transfers either cheaper or faster. So uh, blockchain remains something that we're looking uh, we're looking into and uh, with the technology advancements that are happening, maybe in the future we can use it in order to achieve either or both objectives of, of being faster or or cheaper and basically reflect that to customers. But as it stands today, we didn't see it bringing uh, added value to what we are offering customers. So uh, if I had only one thing on my mind, is uh, it would be about how the customers of the money uh, transfer industry are going to regain their purchasing power that they had pre-COVID. How are they going to deal with the fact that maybe some of their jobs are uh, at risk and how they are going to pivot basically to make sure that they keep the, their earning levels at what they were before COVID and to make sure they continue supporting their loved ones in their home countries. Let's hope for that indeed. Thank you very much for joining me today, Jean-Claude. Thank you, Alice. Thank you for having me. Thank you this week to Jean-Claude Farah. If you have a question you would like to ask us, send it to pf at thenational.ae and remember that's pf for personal finance. Please do subscribe to the podcast in your podcasting app to receive weekly updates and leave us a review so we know what you think. This episode was produced by Arthur Edison. I've been your host, Alice Hayne.